Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Hi, ladies. I'm Susan, um, gratefully recovered sex and love addict. Um, I do say I'm recovered because I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, like the AA Big Book says. Um, In addition to being a sex and love addict, I identify as an ACA, an OA, an Al-Anon, and an AA. And I, I mention these because it was very important to get a handle on all of my addictions um, so that I, so that I can live in a state of recovery. My sobriety date is March 22nd, 2021. Um, I decided that was my date because this was the day, um, I said no more to, to multiple qualifiers I actually sent out, um, several no contact messages. Um, and that was the day I made a commitment to remain sober in the 12 step program of SLAA. Um, even though I use the term recovered, I do believe that recovery is a journey and I, ha- I know I have to remain vigilant um, to fight against my disease, which is cunning, baffling and powerful. Um, my sex and love addiction, you know, we always talk about it's not a substance addiction, it's a process addiction, but um, just the same, I do believe it is a deadly disease. When I was in my active addiction, um, I experienced a death of my soul. Like it, it truly killed me spiritually. Um, and I, I try to remember that every single day. Um, so I just want to slow down for a minute and say how many, um, how grateful I am to see so many familiar faces. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing my story with you. I'm, I'm going to tell you what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, I do, however, I want to start with the hope. Um, I can truly say that for however many of the um, qualifying characteristics I identify with when we read those at the SLA meetings, I am now experiencing equal number of the signs of recovery and the SLAA promises as a result of working this program. Um, Some of the highlights I just want to hit, I do surrender my life and my will one day at a time, and I've regained control of my life. I have been restored to sanity. I do feel dignity and respect for myself, and I finally feel a state of wholeness. I'm present in mind and body when I'm with others. I've learned how to practice rigorous honesty with myself, my fellows, and other people, especially, including especially my partner. I am still working through the pain of my low self-esteem. I finally feel comfortable in solitude and am pursuing my own interests and activities. And I've learned what it means to meet my own emotional needs with the support of a higher power. 
um, what it was like. I always, I always debate how much to talk about my family of origin, but I think it's really important. Um, you know, my, my uh, I have a quote from one of my very best Al-Anon recovery friends in which he used to say, I came from an alcoholic home that I didn't grow up in. I only got taller. Um, and he, I, I loved it every time he said it, you know, to me, this exemplifies the fact that I developed, um, the, I developed my sex and love addiction as a child, as a teenager. And I, I didn't learn to outgrow it until I found recovery. I was destined to repeat the same patterns of the family, um, that I grew up in. As, as my teenage self, I was completely unable to process my feelings and work through pain without using a very sick coping mechanism. Um, and very much like when I was a teenager, when I was an adult in my active addiction, I really just wanted to escape myself. Um, so my family, I was born into an alcoholic home. Um, both of my parents were ACAs. Uh, my father was the identified alcoholic. Um, though I've got to say he was basically never there. Um, he, he was gone doing military stuff. So I was raised by my mother, um, who was a, a para alcoholic at the time. Um, she was also a rager to a degree. Um, but she, she was the one who raised me. I have an older sister who left the house and we were about seven years apart. So it was just my mom and I during my most important years, um, of maybe like 12 to 18. Um, you know, the harm that happened to me, I, I can't say I experienced a bunch of sexual or physical abuse, but, um, I, I did experience a lot of emotional abandonment. My father had an affair, um, and my mother never, ever recovered from the pain of his infidelity. Um, she was just lost forever in her own sadness and resentment. And um, in addition to a couple other tragedies, she experienced um, the loss of her, her beloved horse was really something that, that took her down. Um, she just, she was just overwhelmed with grief. And um, as a function of that, I was pretty emotionally abandoned as a teenager. And that feeling of deep loneliness um, is what I remember the most when I think about my teenage years. And that was ultimately what led me to develop a coping mechanism of, of having a sex and love addiction. Um, until I found recovery, you know, I, I always, I kind of acknowledged my family dysfunction, but I knew in my heart that all of my material needs had been met. I, we lived in a, you know, good middle-class neighborhood. I, I never wanted for anything. I went to good schools. I was never hungry. Um, and most of all, I always just thought I was a promiscuous teenager. I just thought I was screwed up in the head, just really was boy crazy. And, um, you know, now, now with recovery under my belt, I, I can reflect on the fact that, that a lot was lacking. And, and that was when my addiction developed. Um, what happened was, <laughs> I'm just fast forwarding a lot. That was how it started. What happened was I hit bottom twice and then I found recovery. Um, in my adult life, um, I cheated on the man who is now my husband. When we were in college, we actually were high school sweethearts. I believe it or not, met him in the eighth grade and we were boyfriend, girlfriend then. Um, 
and reconnected right before college. Um, I cheated on him again in graduate school and had enough clarity in my mind to seek out a therapist. And I remember talking to her and, and just declaring, I cheated on my fiance and I don't know why. I was truly perplexed in my actions. I had, I knew I was acting outside of myself even at that time. Um, unfortunately, I didn't, I, that I wanted or needed, or maybe I wasn't ready to receive it at the time. Um, but you know, that was my earliest recognition of, of just something, something was drastically wrong here with my behavior. Um, I did go on to, to marry my husband and he, um, much like my family of origin was an active alcoholic and an addict. Um, so basically I lived out the pattern of seeking someone who was emotionally unavailable. Um, you know, I'm very embarrassed to say this, but my pattern of serial infidelity started very shortly after my marriage. Um, I actually feel devastated when I think about that fact, but it, it's just true. Um, when it started, I wasn't really looking for someone. I wasn't looking for a man. I wasn't looking for an affair. Um, but I was in a situation where my first qualifier paid attention to me and it lit my brain up. I mean, just, just lit my brain up and he and I connected over, I mean, I remember one day this frowny face moping and and we connected because I, I said, you know, my, my husband is an alcoholic and I feel very alone and abandoned. Um, and uh, I do want to say that narrative of I've been abandoned or, you know, he's emotionally abandoned me. That became my narrative for years and years while I was in my active addiction. Um, I just wasn't, I, I couldn't see any other way to take accountability for it at the time. So I didn't. Uh, I started up with, with that, my first qualifier, and it led to a s almost seven-year-long affair. Um, he, in, in retrospect, I identify him as a dry drunk and a serious codependent. Um, so once again, I found another person who was emotionally unavailable. Um, he and I had a very intense connection as a result of our addictions. You know, I think if you had asked me, Several years ago, I would have told you that I was in love with him. But when I reflect on things now, I know I was just really, really in a very sick state. Um, you know, he and I swore we would never abandon each other. Um, but, you know, he was connecting with other women the whole time we were. And, um, yeah. So I do want to say that the best way I can describe this person's effect on me, when I was in active addiction, he he was a drug. He felt like heroin, I would, I would shoot up, I would get high and get my fix. Um, I would swear I would never do it again. And then I would go into a horrible state of withdrawal. And I just, it, it just cycled over and over and over again. I, you know, even though I was with him, I just intermittently experienced the withdrawal that they talk about in our primary text. And it was, it was extremely painful. And it really just warped my interactions between my husband and I, because he didn't understand what was going on. Um, so then we had, you know, what I call the first discovery event. Um, it came to light that I had been having an affair and 
at that time was that was when I was very at very um, at the very start of realizing that I that this was an addiction. Um, I unfortunately wasn't able to get help for myself. My therapist, you know, I hinted at it to my therapist. She said, you know, people go away to get help for this. Um, you know, and I argued with her, like, I couldn't take time off work. I couldn't tell my husband. And she's, she's like, no, this is a real thing. And, and I just couldn't come to grips with it and admit it. Um, the way that my husband and I dealt with it after the first discovery was, um, I swore I would never do it again. And we swept it under the rug. I mean, this was the pattern I learned in my family of origin. And it was something that he and I did multiple times throughout our relationship, just sweeping it under the rug. Um, following this, my husband then went on to hit a bottom with his active addiction and, um, bottoms, I think, I think bottoms can be a really good thing because they can lead, they can lead to recovery. And he did, he sought treatment. He went away for four months. Um, and then me, like a good addict's wife, I joined Al-Anon and I found a reprieve from my active addiction for about four years while I was working the Al-Anon program. Um, the problem was I was abstinent, but I wasn't, I wasn't in SLAA recovery. I kept hoping that Al-Anon was going to fix me. Um, I went to an adult child focused Al-Anon meeting and they had a different set of 20 qualifying questions. One of which was, do you suffer from your own compulsive behavior? And every week I would think in my head, like, yes, God, yes, I do. And I, I thought I was going to find the solution there. And I never did it, you know, my Al-Anon program certainly did help me with many other aspects of dealing with my family and, and my husband and myself, but I, I never found the answer there. Um, so my husband continued in recovery and I, I don't mean to be telling so much of his story, but it were so intimately linked in my reactions to, to him. Um, he continued in recovery and I, I was doing okay. Um, but then his addiction took the form of, of work addiction. And it got to the point where I started feeling sorry for myself again, feeling abandoned. Um, and, and it, it got to the point where I, I began white knuckling my disease. It was just like dying to come back. And, um, a little bit down the road, it did come back. I relapsed like, like any other relapse it had started kind of like kindling months before. Um, but I got to tell you, as far as this being a disease of the mind, body, and spirit in, in mind and body, I remember the exact moment, like the exact text where I relapsed, like literally a switch went on in my brain and my addict self said to me like, yes, that this is it. Yes. We're going to get back to this. This is what we've been looking for. I mean, it, again, it was kind of like an out of body experience. Cause I had been trying with the white knuckling to, to remain sober and to remain faithful. And I just failed because I didn't have a program of recovery. Um, the other thing I like to mention about the relapse is for me, it really illustrated the progressive nature of this disease. You know, I went from phase one of having one qualifier to phase two, where I was out of control. I was collecting men like they were playing cards. Um, so yeah, it, it was very, very progressive. And, you know, I, I felt very empowered by having so many men on the hook, like they talk about in our book. 
um, which now in a state of recovery, I can reflect on, you know, it's not really that hard to get a bunch of men on the hook. Um, but (laughs) you know, at the time that was, that was really doing it for me. And my disease progressed because my behaviors became riskier with regard to my, my sexual behaviors, put myself at at risk of STDs and pregnancy, um, probably put my professional life at risk in reflecting on that. And my addict brain just did not care. It just kept upping the ante and I became completely out of control. And oddly enough, you know, in my addiction, I, I did such a good job of compartmentalizing, especially the second time around, because my husband and I, it sounds so strange to say this, but we actually had a really good marriage with the exception of, of my, my acting out behavior, which at this point he was unaware of again. Um, I really didn't want to be doing what I was doing. I wanted to be faithful in my marriage. Um, and this, this kept happening that I caught myself acting out when I didn't even want to. I can remember one time toward the end of my active addiction in which I was driving to a qualifier's house kind of like my, my true self and my addict self were arguing. And I, I was just saying like, Susan, you, you don't have to do this. You can turn the car around. Um, and then my addict self was like, no, you do need to do this. You're, it's not going to be good if you don't have this person to lean on. Um, but you know, it just, the disease just really, really took over. Um, I was able to share with a friend the realization that I was in full-fledged addiction and she and I talked about it and um, she suggested that I go to a 12-step meeting, which I did. I tried a couple, I tried SLA, I tried SA. Um, and it wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't something I was able to maintain without um, another level of dishonesty and without my behavior coming to light, which I just wasn't ready to fess up to everything. Um, but, but the addiction, you know, in, in the way that it used to bring me relief from the pain, now it was just causing me nothing but pain. Um, so fortunately I hit bottom, I got found out. Um, there was a second discovery event and I got to say that by this time, I was truly grateful. Like it actually makes me want to cry when I think about it. Um, the second time around, I did not experience withdrawal. I was so relieved to have an excuse, a, a reason to stop, um, the ability to seek recovery. And um, things were not good. They were really not good between my husband and I, but he being an addict in recovery found compassion in his heart for me. And when I told him that I that this was an addiction, he agreed to work on things with me um, as long as I committed to a program of recovery, which I was um, willing and able to do. So um, I got I got a new therapist who specialized in sex and love addiction, um, and I found the program. I you know, dove in right away, multiple meetings per week. Um, I got a sponsor straight away and worked the steps straight away um, and made that commitment to my sobriety because I was at the end of the line. It was it was the only way out, and I. Fortunately, I was ready. By that time, I was truly, truly ready um, because this had been occurring over a span of about, you know, 15 to 18 years, the whole thing. Um, So my husband and I started our process of relational repair um, by doing a therapeutic disclosure, which some of you 
may or may not be familiar with. Um, therapeutic disclosure, it's done in a therapeutic environment with both of our therapists, and it was three parts. Um, I did a disclosure which detailed all of my acting out behavior. He wrote an impact letter detailing all the ways in which I had hurt him. And then I wrote a restitution letter, which was not quite an amends, but I, I spoke to all of the pains that I had caused him and it was kind of a, a promise of amends. And it was one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. Um, you know, and that's where I come back to the program because I could not have done it without the support of the women in the program. Every time that I was brave enough to share in a meeting that I was going through disclosure or facing disclosure, someone would reach out to me and, and they would say, yes, I've been there. I did that. It's hard. You can do it. It's, it's worth it. Um, and I, I leaned on those women so heavily during that time that I just, there's, there's truly no way I could have gotten through that without the support of my, my recovery sisters. Um, and, and I did, I, I got through it. Um, it, it took a lot of courage to be brutally and rigorously honest with him and with myself, but, but I got through it and what it's like now, um, now my husband and I both live in recovery. Um, I keep mentioning him because I think you're at the halfway. Oh, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, I hate to say it, but I, I don't feel that my recovery would have been possible if we hadn't both been in recovery. Um, just being such an intimately linked unit. Um, so, you know, I, I really needed this program to survive and because it's a family disease, you know, I, I need the people around me to be living in recovery as well, or at least my, my primary person. Um, and again, what it's like now, now I can say I live with dignity and wholeness. I'm present in my relationships. I spent so much time just being, um, not mentally present with friends, with family, with my husband. I just, I have a lot of regret about the time I wasted in my active addiction. Um, I know the AA big book says we won't regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. Basically, we'll just learn from it and impart strength and hope for others. So I do try to keep that in mind. Um, I take accountability for myself now. I don't blame any of my actions on how someone is treating me um, or how they're, you know, quote, making me feel. Um, and now I'm just happier with who I am. And I've learned not to emotionally abandon myself. Um, now I live, I live without shame, but with remorse. Um, I'm in a state of sanity and, you know, many, many months down the road from disclosure. Um, but I got to say, it still hits me pretty often. It, um, it just comes at me and I'm in a state of disbelief as to what I did to my husband, what I did to myself. Like it, it just, it was so out of body compared to how I feel now. It just absolute disbelief, disbelief and remorse, um, which I suppose is a good thing that I continue to reflect on it and, and never forget the difference between my true self and my addict self. Um, so I talked about how I felt like I could not have survived the pain of relational recovery and the challenges without the women in the program. Um, at one point after I'd been in the program for a while, I did reach a low point as far as the my belief in a higher power went. I was starting to feel abandoned. 
by my higher power and I discussed this in a meeting and someone reached out to me and this person um, ultimately became my second and my who is now my current sponsor um, and I felt it felt like a higher power move like I felt like I had been rescued rescued again into the arms of the program um, so even though I'm out of crisis mode I do maintain um, a network of recovery sisters and I, I know that I can reach out to these women anytime for support. Some of them I talk to every week. Um, and some of them we support each other by sharing our 10 step nightly inventories and our gratitude lists. And um, so I continue those relationships. Some other tools that I use to maintain my spiritual health. Um, I do pray, you know, for me, my higher power is the universe, like a capital T, capital U. You know, I never um, experienced classic religion growing up, and I haven't really found it now. Um, but I do, I do pray to the universe. You know, both when I'm in times of trouble, but also when things are going well. Um, I, I just need to feel, feel that my higher power is on my side. I need to feel it every single day as I go out and face the world, and. Um, one prayer that I do often is the on, well, it's not a prayer, but it's a reading from the big book called On Awakening. Um, pardon me. I do, I do try to think of this every morning before my feet hit the floor and it, it really helps me start my day off well. Um, of course I reach for the serenity prayer cause that's the fastest and the most accessible. Um, I will often say it before I go into work, um, I, de I definitely say it when I'm faced with difficult clients or difficult situations. I have a mantra, um, which I consider to be a little, a little prayer. Um, and it's three words. It's patience, acceptance, and compassion. Those are things I try to give myself and I try to give to everyone around me, patience, acceptance, and compassion. And those are things that have grown out of my recovery. I think those words would have never come out of my mouth um, prior to finding SLAA recovery. Um, I do sponsor. I work with, with fellow addicts right now. I have three sponsees. Um, I like sponsoring because it keeps my head in the game. Just, you know, hearing, having them, um, trust me enough to share about their difficulties, doing step work with them. Um, when I'm in close contact with my sponsees is actually when I feel most connected to my program. So, you know, I do, there are some challenges. I do try to remind myself that as a sponsor, my job is to take them through the steps. It's not to be their therapist, not to be their, their dumping ground, you know, and I've, I've been blessed with amazing sponsees. So it's, it's not that hard, but, um, you know, when you're around a lot of women who are in pain, it, it, it can require some, some guidance from your higher power. Um, so I do, I do try to turn things over every day. Um, I use the third and the seventh step prayers I'm really big on using my God box. Um, and it does help me relieve, re release my obsessive thoughts and worry just one day at a time. I'm actually really amazed at how well God box works for me. A little stack of post-it notes. Um, and then just outreach, outreach, outreach. I can't stress it enough. This is an amazing way to know that you're not alone. Um, my recovery partners keep me accountable and I know that if I am having a rough day, if I'm having any like dust bunny thoughts of relapse, I know that I can reach out to these women and they will be there for me. 
Um, and the last thing I want to leave you with is something I heard from, from one of my recovery sisters. Um, and it just speaks to all of the, all of the value, but all of the work that's required in, in working an active program. And it is to remember that no amount of willpower will keep me sober. So whatever that looks like for you, you know, if you have to stay in touch with others, if you do need to lean on your higher power, if you don't have a higher power, you know, can you, can you be present in your program in other ways? Can you do your readings every morning? Can you do your 10 step inventories? But some action has to be taken every single day because no amount of willpower will keep me sober. And um, I always, always remember that, you know, anytime I want to take myself well back and feel like I can face the day or face any challenges alone. So um, with that, I will pass. I am so grateful for all of you being here and for allowing me to share tonight. Thank you very, very much. That's it for this month's speaker meeting. Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.